from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex episode of the day. And on today's podcast, we have the co-founder of Ember Tribe, Josh Sturgeon. Ember Tribe is a digital marketing agency focused on customer acquisition, I believe founded in 2015. Josh, how you doing? Doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you being on the Rider Flex podcast. Cool story. I, I hunted you down on LinkedIn and, and thought to myself, oh, he'd be a great guest to have on the podcast. And tell us your, your journey and how you went from having a regular job to starting a business and all of that. So why don't you start off with, you know, telling the listeners about your personal story, you know, family, where you grew up, things like that. Yeah, sure. No, I'd love to. So I grew up in the greater Boston area, just about 20 minutes west of Boston. Uh, okay. I somehow managed to escape without a terrible accent. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't hear it. I don't hear it. <laughs> I, grew up in, I grew up in an area with a lot of transplants. Um, okay. But, you know, if we, if we have a couple of drinks, you know, you might detect a little bit <laughs> here and there. And uh, no, so I grew up in the Northeast and, and pretty much have lived here my whole life. I moved around a little bit, but settled now on the North shore of Boston and I'm a New Englander through and through. Okay. Um, I am a family guy, so I've got two kids, uh, ages seven and four, at least at the time of this podcast. And, um, you know, my family's everything. It's really been a big, a big reason why we built kind of our company the way that we built it, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But, um, yeah, kind of New England kid grew up in greater Boston, uh, you know, grew up thinking originally that I was going to go really deep into music. And oh, so, oh, really? Okay. I was looking yeah. at your, I was looking at your undergrad and I was thinking, okay, now what, what was his plan there? Uh, yeah. 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 Talk, talk to us about that. You went to Gordon college. Did you, but did you major in music? I thought you majored in business. I did. I did major in business. So, uh, I, I was going between being a music major and then doing something else and ended up doing something else, but pursuing music pretty heavily on the side. Um, like, like you played in a band. Yeah, yeah. So I did the singer-songwriter thing for a bit. Uh, I actually did really? session work for a bit. And then one of my earliest gigs, because um, I graduated into the heart of the recession, uh, one of my earliest gigs was actually running a music studio. So I had um, about 20, 25 students. Yeah, I rented out space in school. Uh, so I was heavy into music for a while. And it really definitely laid the groundwork for kind of my entrepreneurial journey in a big way. Oh, I was just, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. So that was the early entrepreneurial stuff right there, your own music studio. That was it. Yeah. And even before that, um, you know, we're talking early 2000s. Uh, we're talking like the era of MySpace, pre-Facebook, you know, YouTube was maybe year one. Mm. So kind of exploring some of those channels um, to try to connect with, with people who are interested in music and in our, in our music. So yeah, it was, it was kind of the wild west of social media back then. Wow. Okay. Now, so, so, but you were going to school for business. You had this little side gig going on. Plus you played in a band and all this stuff. You're writing music. Okay, can you sing now? Go ahead and do something for No, I'm just joking. <laughs> where are the royalties? Where are the royalties at? Right, yeah. right, right. Where did you get the entrepreneurial bug? Was, did that come from one of your parents or where, where did that come from? Yeah, you know, it's funny. So I, I think I've been around it my whole life in, in some capacity. So my dad worked uh, in corporate, but first he worked for the government for a long time in the FDA, then worked over in the biotech sphere. So real science based guy. And then you know, not so entrepreneurial, much more kind of corporate uh, and really respect him, really respects, you know, the path that he took. Um, very consistent type of guy, uh, really just grinded it out. And my mom, though, always found ways to kind of make extra money. So that was at some points, you know, running a massage therapy uh, practice and kind of holistic health business oh, all the way okay. to, you know, right. other types of freelance things. So I probably got a little bit of it there. Um, but I think as a kid, I just wanted to, I just wanted to build things and I wanted to be able to uh, make my own money. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I was, was wondering. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For trying to solve that problem. So, yeah. So, so then you finished your undergrad and then what's this? So you got your master's in religious studies. So what, tell me what the plan was right there. I, I'm super, <laughs> super curious. I, as I studied for the podcast, I'm like, all right, what was, what was going Who on? Who is this right guy? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wish I wish I had a better answer for you, man. I think um, at the time I was just really interested in pursuing that uh, at a higher level. So I did end up with a theology degree. Um, so I learned Greek, I learned Hebrew. There's a time where wow. You know, learning Greek and Hebrew in the morning and raking somebody's lawn in the afternoon and then learning how to build a website, you know, in the evening, it was a real mixed bag. of And, uh, and still playing music. It's still playing music on some level. At that point, it started dying down a little bit more, but, um, All right. yeah, so, you know, the, the graduate work that I did was really just pursuing a personal interest. Um, okay. Okay. I didn't have any sort of career ambitions necessarily around that, but it was something that I started out doing and, and completed over a long period of time, part time while I worked. Okay. So as you were going to grad school, you started messing around with marketing and websites and stuff like that too on the side. So now you're, now you're pivoting in a whole nother, you're over here with the religious studies that you got, you got the music, you majored in business for your undergrad, but now you're going to be a marketing guy. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man, you know, a lot of the, the variability that you're seeing is like what I mentioned before is I graduated in 2007, right into the yep. heart of the recession. Um, I, I remember applying to job after job after job and just being met with a brick wall. Yep. Um, it was the chicken or the egg, you know, this one requires experience. Well, how do I get experience? You know, it's like right. this endless loop. Uh, and it's funny because, um, Actually, I got the honor from my from my undergrad this last year. Uh, won an award for entrepreneurship, and oh, the person cool. that cool. that uh, gave it out was saying, you know, it's interesting when we look at people who graduated around the years that you graduated. A high percentage of them ended up starting their own business or, or taking a different path. Wow. And, okay. You know, the assumption there was, hey, you know, it, there's something to do with there being a lack of opportunity around that time and having to create your own path. How about that? So, my answer was pretty simple, man, as I was, I was freshly married, you know, a year or two out of college, uh, in the heart of a recession, needed to pay the bills, yep. um, try to translate something I was, I was interested in and passionate about with music to, uh, translate that into income, supplemented it with hard work and, you know, landscaping. And then through a dying phone book company doing door to door sales, I learned about digital marketing. And that's really what kicked off kind of the next chapter of, uh, of my career. Wow. Now, now, did you start off in the marketing department for the phone book company or you actually started off knocking on doors? I was literally knocking on doors. Yeah, going door to door. And it was, a, like I said, a dying phone book company that's long since passed. And they knew that their ticket to survive was going to be translating from the old school um, phone book directional advertising to this digital, this digital world. Okay. And so as I'm selling this, I'm just getting increasingly curious and interested in how all of this works. How, okay. Okay. how could you rank for brown, buy brown shoes online and you're a brown shoes guy? That's, that's just incredibly powerful, right? So yeah. learning about SEO, learning about all the ways that you can grow a business online was really interesting to me. Are, are, you, are you studying this all, all this on your own or somebody there at the company's teaching you? So I made friends with the one guy who was responsible for delivery because I needed to try to understand what I was selling. Okay. And he turned me on to resources that I, and blogs I could learn from. And that's the thing is, especially in the early 2000s, like there's no curriculum, there's no degree, there's nothing teaching you how to do this. So you're going to communities at the time, it was SEO Moz, now Moz, Search Engine Land. There's all these kind of old school uh, publishers and communities where you would go and learn. But then where you'd really learn is putting it into practice and just seeing what worked. And so, yeah, I started balancing Greek and Hebrew with, uh, with learning how to code and learning, you know, the technical on page and off page aspects to things like SEO. And that was the, the doorway. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. All right. And then, so from there, did you work somewhere else for a little bit? Uh, Ziff Davis or something like that before you started freelancing? Yeah. Talk, talk to me. Yeah. So basically I had a string of, um, a string of other small short okay. sprints, you know, some of them contract. Basically I worked for a larger agency at one point, which was really, really great, great experience. Okay. Um, and it got me exposed to, to like fortune 500 brands some larger companies doing things on a larger scale. Um, but really where I started to, to really flourish and take off is I started a business with my wife that we eventually sold. Um, and it was a language services company uh, and city, city gate language services, city gate language services. Yeah. It started out just as a, uh, basically an interpreting agency. So if somebody had a need, uh, like for instance, a legal team was going to conduct a deposition, they needed to have an interpreter present to make sure that the record was clear and that who they're deposing was, was, you know, communicating clearly. 
or in medical uh, uses. So we eventually built that to about 50 contractors. We serviced about 150 languages, um, okay. all kind of in the greater Boston area, and then moved into like things like document translation and things that were more scalable online. Okay, now hold on. I want to I want to dig into here just for a minute. Let's let's back up sure. just a tad. You're you're working at the at the marketing agency as an employee, right? Right. And you and your wife are like, what? What? You're having dinner one night, and you're like, hey, let's 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 start a you know let's start a company. Like, how, how'd that happen? Where'd that idea come from? <laughs> where, where where'd that idea come from? And talk to us about how did you capital? I mean, was did it take a lot of money to get it going? Or just give us give us yeah. a little detail there, if you don't mind. No, not at all. So I don't think there was one eureka moment, but I do know my wife was effectively freelancing as an interpreter herself. Okay, there. And, okay, okay, got it. And that was that was the initial, uh, you know, idea was okay. There's a demand for this. Here's a great flexible, you know, job for her to do right now. Um, but then, as we thought about it, we're thinking, wow. First of all, Greater Boston is much more diverse linguistically than we ever thought. Okay. Um, that's an, probably another conversation for another time, but we're like, wow, there's a lot more demand here. And there's not really a lot of people servicing that demand outside of like a really large player called Lionbridge. Okay. And so we saw an agency model as being really, um, effective and like a low capital investment way to kind of get in the game because okay. you don't need to have a huge infrastructure to operate a business like that. Okay. So we started out, um, just getting direct clients for her kind of ironing out what the contracts need to look like and just all the things that you need to do early on that you don't think of in a business. And what what was she tactically doing? She was interpreting like, what was she doing exactly? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like what was the service that was actually rendered? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the service was pretty straightforward. It was, um, you know, you'd have an appointment, you'd have a time and a place to be, and you, you're usually hired by whoever's facilitating the meeting. So let's just take the legal uh, okay. case, right? Okay. So there's, there's a deposition happening. Um, an attorney in his office or her office would okay. say, we, we need an interpreter for this. Gotcha. They would hire us, bring us in. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So you guys got this little business going now you, together called CityGate. All right, cool. You're not, you're helping her with some of the admin stuff and the back end stuff, but you're not, yeah. you know, you're not client facing at this time or are you running the marketing on it? I'm running the marketing and the growth side of it. And I kept my job at the time to basically fund that business. Right. So it, Bingo. it didn't take a huge capital infusion um, because like I said, it's services. It's, there wasn't a huge infrastructure to maintain, but uh, I was able to basically put to use what I've been learning over the previous three or four years and actually use our real money to do it, which made it real. And that's where you really start to learn things is when you put it into practice for yourself. So love it, love it, love it. So, love it. Yeah, so, go ahead. So, so for the listeners right there, I just want to kind of just, you know, so your wife's skill set that she uh, knew how to do right. And she had contacts combined with your marketing uh, expertise that you had, boom, you guys are off and running and you could do it on the side while you kept your other job, which helped fund it all. Beautiful. Love it. Okay, that's great. It. Great. Yeah. Great. And just as a, as a side note on that, it's, it's advice that I give to a lot of folks, even that I hire, as I say, like learn on our dime and let this job be your lead investor. Like if you have something like you really have to frame it like that, yep. you know, it's, yep. Yep. You, you might not be full time with whatever your thing is, but allow your job um, to great. be framed as your lead investor. And it's really important. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So you guys did that for what, three years and then sold it? Yeah. Yeah. We actually, so the impetus there was we were starting our family and um, we realized that this type of, uh, although it was like a low capital um, mm-hmm. type of business, mm-hmm. it definitely required a lot of okay. uh, availability and, you know, um, just ability to respond in a moment's notice. Like we had an interpreter get in an accident one time and then that left a client without an interpreter. So we had to kind of pivot around that. So we're like, okay, this isn't going to be the best lifestyle fit for us okay. moving forward, having a baby, especially where my wife was owning most of the operations of the business at the time. Okay. And it just lined up where we had a buyer who approached us, uh, wanted to expand just their operation. Out of the blue? Out of the blue. Yeah. It was, it was a cold uh, email that we received one day. And at first it was a extension to maybe partner um, because they wanted to have a presence in the Northeast and uh, it turned into an actual, um, you know, sale and acquisition. So that kind of worked out. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But, but, but not enough to, to retire and buy, buy a home somewhere. I mean, it was enough to a little nest egg for you guys. uh, Yeah, it was, 
it was a good little exit for us. It was a good, um, you know, not life changing money, but definitely, I think the biggest thing it did for us was it showed us, I mean, at that time too, we did, we did acquire clients like the NCAA, certain universities, like there was some larger players. So there's some value there for sure. But for us, it showed us that you can conceive of an idea you can build it to a place and then hand it off. And we saw that whole thing unfold. Boom. Yeah. That was, great. That was where the light bulb really went on. Yeah. Awesome experience. Okay. So once you did that, now you still had a job working for, I think, upward search mm-hmm. marketing at that time, even when you sold this business, but now you really got the bug because you built something and sold it and you're like, okay, we can do this. We can, yeah. we can, do, we can do that again. <laughs> so this is where my story gets a little bit weirder or, or um, maybe different from others. So yeah, I, I was still working uh, for that company, but we actually struck a deal where um, I was kind of starting to head up an incubator at that company. And so I had equity wow. in a business that we were starting together uh, in a majority share. And that business ended up actually shuttering. We had to shut it down after a couple of years. We just okay. got outgunned. It's probably a, it's a good learning lesson for us actually where we had to either raise a lot of money or kind of shut things down. We okay. started out with like maybe three competitors and by the end of it had about 24. I so, don't, no, I don't see this. I don't see this business on your profile anywhere. So I didn't see that. Is that, that so this, this yeah. is basically a software tools, a software as a service tool uh, for content marketers. Okay. And it's probably at scale. The best thing I can compare it to is a percolate, which could, just got bought by a company called seismic for like an ungodly okay. amount of money. All right. All right. So you, now uh, you, you tried, so you tried launching that you and some other people. Yeah. So I had, um, I had some of the resources for the company that I was, that I was working with at the yeah. time, but had this kind of interesting deal where it was like part employee, part partner. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, we, we grew it. We developed the product pretty far, but we're at a crossroads, decided we needed to, to shut things down and that was fine. Uh, those guys were actually in the process of selling their company too. Um, and that's what kind of got me to transition to, uh, to Ember tribe and well, more, more great experience for you then. So now at this point, before you started Ember tribe, you had experience being an employee for a company at an agency. Plus you and your wife built the company and sold it. Plus you did this other joint venture, lots of good experience now rolling into Ember tribe. Okay. How did you, how did you decide to exit that regular job and start Ember tribe? What was the what was the pivot point or the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak? Talk to us. Yeah. So I think honestly, the first thing, uh, the first thing that really drove that decision was just my family situation. So okay. at, at this point, my son was born. Um, I have, like I said, I have two kids. Mm-hmm. So having two young kids, having a young family, wanting to have more time with them, more flexibility, more autonomy was definitely a big driver, right? So knowing that whatever we built needed to be flexible was really important. Okay. And okay. also like I have, uh, my in-laws are all from, uh, from outside the country, from Central America. So being able to go for longer periods of time abroad and not feel like that was interrupting some huge thing back here in the States work-wise was, was part of the, the deal too. So building, building something you could, you could uh, work remotely and have, you know, everybody be virtual. That was huge. Yep. The flexibility piece was huge. Uh, wanting to be able to, to have more flexibility of time to be with family was huge. And then frankly, just having, um, having seen how larger agencies, not upward, but more the partner agencies, like I worked with, well, I don't want to mention any names, but I worked with some larger, really well-known agencies uh, as like their SEO kind of consultants. And um, I just got really, really tired of creating like 80 page, you know, decks presenting to executive teams who really just had paid a lot of money for you to be there to prove their point. Um, And then none of your work seeing the light of day. Like I was, I was tired of that kind of feeling of waste um, and having already run a business and sold yeah. it with my wife. I was interested in getting real results for, uh, for entrepreneurs that had something interesting they wanted to do rather okay. than people who were interested in preserving their jobs and proving their points. <laughs> okay. Now when you, when you started talking to friends and family about starting your own marketing agency or advertising agency, everybody, I'm guessing people are like, yeah, there's, there's a million agencies. Like there's a, there's a crap ton of competition, right? Surely. well yeah but you know you got to think um at this time too uh things like paid social were really still in their infancy okay right so um things like facebook ads for instance were still very very new and they weren't really adopted at all um in the b2b space okay which 
kind of gave us our start. Um, so yeah, and I didn't, I didn't start this out of nothing either. I did have freelance clients that I was working for. You took, okay. You took my next question. So you had freelance and then as soon as you started Ember tribe, boom, they were clients. Yeah. So here's, what's interesting though, is, is, uh, my partner and I, we, we made the decision to, to go in this thing together. And, um, my partner had more experience on the kind of business development side and I had more experience in the delivery and actual execution. And I had this kind of suite of uh, freelance clients that I used as a bridge to kind of jump over. Gotcha. But my biggest client that I was depending on ended up leaving after 30 days of me taking the leap. Um, so and so oh, let me let me just take a pause there. So you and your you and your co-founder are like, hey, listen, cash flow wise, we got we got the the big client right here. So this big client's going to help us kind of you know bridge this gap until we get some more clients, and then boom, they're gone. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was one of those moments where it's like fight or flight and, you know, it was, it was not because of us, not because of them. They just had funding that didn't come through and you know how these things go, but it still was, was like, you know, two thirds of the income that we're relying on. So it was okay. Like we had runway, um, we had savings, we had, you know, these other couple of clients, but we needed to make some moves very quickly to uh, make this sustainable. Was your wife working at the time? No. Nope. Was, it, was was your partner's wife working at the time? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you when you say when you say runway, were you guys were were there points where you're sitting down at the kitchen table with your wife and you're saying, okay, eleven months. We got eleven months until we run out of the car. was it was it I mean, was it like that a little bit or not quite that scary? No, it wasn't quite that scary, but it was. It, you know what? I got to tell you though, it, it was much less of a focus on how much time we have left, and much more focus on like pipeline and opportunities and, great and what point. we had Good. before. Great. So and, uh, great. I, think, I think the minute you get on your back foot and you start mm-hmm. playing defense is yeah. the minute that you die. And so we really just leaned in and Ooh, great um, advice. Great advice. Great yeah. advice. Just just keep pushing forward. That's it. So you just started hustling. You just started hustling and grabbing more clients. All right. Now, was it at first? Was it he was getting the gigs and you were and you were filling the gigs basically because you you were the marketing guy and he was the sales guy. You know, it was a little bit of both. Honestly, we both had uh, had established some pretty good networks, um, okay. and that's honestly one of the great benefits of I think being in the agency world is that you're not like I've been in house. I've been in agency world, but like the benefit of agency world is that you meet a lot of clients. And you kind of start adopting their networks as well and establishing relationships there. It's kind of like this cross-pollination that happens. So that was a huge advantage. We really grew the business in that first year, um, year to year and a half, just out of our own networks and through referrals. Great. Um, Great. We can get to it later, but when we really started to grow was when we developed our own kind of sales and marketing machine. Okay. So at first though, it's a, it's a service business. So you didn't have to have a lot of capital really to get started. The main, the main thing was working your own network to get some early clients, maybe move some of those freelance clients over and boom, you're off and running and you got a little bit of cash flow going. So not, not a lot of investment. And, and by the way, I'm totally bootstrapped for you guys. Yeah. No, no, no outside cash at this point. Nothing like that. Nope. Totally self-funded. Um, okay. But okay. One of, so to go back though, cause this is, I think this was definitely like a, it felt like a leap at the time is I had experience in paid traffic and performance marketing. Okay. But most of my experience at that time was still in organic and SEO and content marketing. Mm, mm. Um, and so, but I saw it being increasingly difficult to build a business around SEO and content okay. marketing for a variety of reasons. And so making that decision to double down more on like the paid traffic side mm. was a difficult decision because it's not where like we could have built quicker and, and you know, more efficiently on SEO in the beginning, but I felt like there would have been more of a ceiling there. So like choosing that particular vein, I think was really important. When did you do that? When did no. you do Did you do that right away after six months? Right away. Right away. Okay. Yeah, right away. And I mean, we definitely said yes to a lot of different kind of service offerings just to kind of get our, our you know, as my partner puts it, meat hooks in. Um, I don't know why I used that one, but it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> but, but as we refined our focus, we definitely continue just that through line of, of doing paid and performance marketing. Did that help you, um, you know, narrowing your, your services? Do you think that's, do you, do you advise that for people just in general? Just, hey, narrow in, you know, have a good focus on what you do really well. Don't try to do too much. Is that, 
you know, is that what you encourage others to do? I do. Yeah, I do. But I like to balance it with a realistic approach. Like I think, you know, in any business, it doesn't matter what you're in. Like you have to differentiate, you have to have kind of your point of differentiation and it gets increasingly difficult to do that. The broader the scope of your services. Mm -hmm. But that said early on, when you're trying to get your first five or 10 clients, sometimes you you're in a position where you do need to say yes to things that are kind of outside that center of genius because it's just a part of closing the deal. And I think that's okay. I think it's just important though, that you don't get spread too thin too early, like make those compromises maybe for your first five or 10 clients or whatever that equates to for, for revenue mm-hmm. and then continue to really narrow your focus and, uh, and get really good kind of at that one thing. I think that's great advice. I just want to let that breathe for a second because you're right. It's, if you're bootstrapping it and you don't have an out, outside investor, you are going to have to just say yes sometimes to, to the broader, you know, piece. Depending on if somebody calls and says, "I want to pay you to do X, Y, Z," if you're an early startup company, you're going to be like, "Yeah, okay, yes." <laughs> even if you want to go, even if you wanted to go narrow, right? Uh, but that's great advice. Yeah. By the way when I was researching you before the podcast, I love the fact that you are super clear and direct on your website with what you do. There's no, you don't have to dig around. You don't, you don't go to Ember tribe and go, okay, now what what do these guys do? We drive growth through paid traffic, period. That's what we do. (laughs) Big giant, bold letters. I love it. It speaks to what you were saying. So, okay. So you guys are off and running. No employees at this point, just you two. Yeah. So let's, let's call it actually November 1st, 2015 was our kind of official, you know, full time with Ember tribe, um, start date by the end of January or like mid January of 2016, we actually hired our first employee. Um, okay. And so, so what happened in between there was we signed a client, uh, in December of 2015 with like a longer term contract. Mm-hmm. And that gave us like incredible breathing room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we decided early on, like, let's try to get somebody in here as soon as possible so we don't get choked out uh, too early in terms Good. of scale and capacity. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot we did right. There's a lot we did wrong. <laughs> um, there's a lot I would have done differently, I guess you could say. But, yeah, we, we made that first hire pretty quickly. Uh, and I'm glad that we did. It's okay. just um, – it brought some pain with it. <laughs> what were what were a couple of huge uh, mistakes or or things you would do differently today? Is there any one particular thing you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, so I think you know the what it all boils down to is not not firing fast enough, okay, and holding out hope for too long that this would work out when everybody just kind of intuitively knew that it wouldn't <laughs> and, uh, and trying to push something through for too long that just wasn't really a fit. So I think I could probably sum it up to be that. I think what we did really well was uh, documenting our processes early. Okay. okay. So I literally uh, in the early days when I was doing everything, you know, I, I had to be involved in sales. I had to be involved in delivery and, and client management and everything. I would just record my screen as I was doing my everyday work, Great. even before we hired. And I would just record and narrate everything I was doing. And I think my wife probably looked at me weird every once in a while when she'd look over and I'm just like, <laughs> and now I'm saving the file. And now I, you know, like, and, uh, but what I was doing was just recording dozens and dozens of short video trainings that went right on to drive. So when we hired that first person, it was like, okay, here's your work for the week. Go into this folder, watch, grab some popcorn, watch this, then do it. You know, it's like, that was one of the best things we ever could have done because it was like, it saved us so much time Mm. getting somebody up to speed. Really good tip. Yep. Great. And these days recording stuff is super easy, dropping it in Google drive or whatever it is you use. Super easy. Yeah. Yeah, we do the same, and that's a huge tip for the listeners. We uh, we record stuff on Zoom or whatever and drop it in folders all the time for each other. Yep, great advice. Yep. Okay, so so moving along now, talk to us. Give us the Ember Tribe overview as it stands today. You know, how many employees, how many clients are you servicing? Kind of give us a you know an overview as it stands now. Yeah, for sure. So Ember Tribe, like 
you know, we've talked about it's a performance marketing agency. We're focused on paid traffic. Our sweet spot is really working with early stage and growth stage uh, startups. So okay. to that end, um, we're pretty active partners with, uh, with organizations like Techstars. We work with companies out of Y Combinator. Some of these incubator programs uh, are like right up our alley. And so the reason why we're usually a really good fit for those types of companies is that they don't have the timelines to wait to start validating how they can acquire customers. Like they can't wait nine to 12 months for SEO to kick in. Mm -hmm. They can't wait for these future co-branded partnerships to kick in. Like they need to quickly validate where they can get customers repeatedly and consistently at a acceptable cost. And so using paid traffic from sources like Google, you know, Facebook and a bunch of other channels is a really quick feedback loop for them. And that's where we bring a lot of value to those companies is just, finding what we call like a channel fit as soon okay. as possible okay. and understanding uh, how to bring that to a level of scale. To, so, to grow so, so is your target, uh, you know, a company that's under, so under 50 million, under, under 10 million. Yeah. So for that startup profile, we're typically working with companies that have raised like a large C round or, okay. or maybe close to raising their A round okay. uh, and they have a product market fit. So we're not figuring that out for them. Like we're not doing, you know, user interviews and things like that necessarily, but we are um, trying to really nail the channels in the mix and the messaging that's going to repeatedly capture those customers for them. What about that small company that uh, hasn't been funded by the seed round and they, uh, you know, what, what do those guys do? They can't afford to, yeah. to use this paid traffic yet. Go ahead. So we do, we have, we have some clients that kind of fit that bill too. And I should be, I should be clear too. We also work with larger companies. Like we have, you know, some companies that are probably in the hundreds of employees as well, but, the, the real common thread through all of them is that they're entrepreneurially minded and they're okay. willing to move quickly and not bog us down with like a lot of bureaucratic decision-making and, you know, never, never shipping anything. <laughs> so that's kind of the through line through all of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we definitely have folks who are self-funded who are starting out, but that's, I'd say more of the outlier. Our, our sweet spot would be folks that are at least, uh, you know, funded, but we do, we do have, we've started to create, opportunities for people to, uh, if they don't have the budget to work with us yet to kind of learn and put some sweat equity into their own business. Mm. So we create a whole kind of training platform and, uh, and coaching program for that, mm, which we're still mm, early stages. Great way to build a relationship so that when they are funded, they they're paying you. <laughs> that's it. Yep. That's so, it. Okay. So if I own a, if I own a recruiting firm like Riderflex, which, which, which I do, and we're ready to start spending money on paid ads, whether it's uh, pay-per-click on Google or Facebook ads or uh, promotions on campaigns. I think they call them on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, but I don't know how to do it or I don't have time to do it, but I know I want to spend a thousand bucks a month on it. I just, I can call Ember tribe and you guys take care of it. Yeah. From soup to nuts. That's really, that's really our, our sweet spot. Right. And I think the way that to paint a picture for you, uh, the way that that would flesh out is we would, come to you as a business owner and try to figure out, you know, where do you want to go? Because that's really the important question to ask first is everybody assumes that they want to grow, but by how much mm. and, and why, and are you prepared for that growth? Mm. You know, it's like we, and truly right. it's, it's, you know, growth, growth changes things. It changes yeah. how your organization needs to run. It changes your focus on what you deliver. And so we find that some of the best value that we bring in the early days working with the founder of their team is helping them understand like what that path of growth looks like and how that will, you know, change their organization. Mm -hmm. And so once we figure out what those objectives are, what the, what the actual numbers are that you want to grow to, we can start backing out from that end in mind and saying, okay, well, here's kind of the first whack at the path to get there, right? Like here's some benchmarks for leads. Here's some benchmarks for uh, your close rates. And here's some other benchmarks that are relevant, right? And so based on these assumptions, let's move forward with these three different channels, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, and whatever. And let's start there, but be flexible and iterative and experimental in our process to make sure that we're still moving towards that end goal but we're not so tied down to one strategy that it chokes us out, right? We're not so dedicated to this one path. That's, I think that's probably where we're different is that we're able to move in these agile sprints and kind of like your outsourced, you know, mad scientist experimenters <laughs> are able to, to chart a path. Yeah. I like the fact that you're a strategic partner. It sounds like 
you know, you'll, you'll set a table and say, Hey, let's talk about your business overall. Uh, let me, let me help you out with, with strategy. I, I, I like that. Um, uh, I'm, you know, there's a, there's a million agencies out, not a million. I don't How many marketing agencies be, yeah. are there? I don't know. You probably know, right? How many agencies I've, are there? I, I don't even know. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard round figures of 300,000, um, wow. you know, in the, in North America alone, but that's a very broad brushstroke between creative agencies to performance marketing agencies and everything in between. Yeah. And what's, what in one sentence, w- w- what makes you different and better than anybody yeah. else doing this paid stuff? So I'd say, you know, we are relentless about testing. And so I, I don't think you're going to find another agency who is as thoughtful and as dogged about uh, challenging our best numbers. I think the norm in the agency world is to find something that works, let it run, just set it and forget it because that's going to help your margins. The less time that you spend on that account, you know, the more, the more your margins will raise for your business. And so that's the natural default. Ours is, okay, here's what we got last quarter. What are we doing this quarter to beat that? Okay. Because the only certainty is that the longer you stay stagnant and passive and set it and forget it, the easier it's going to be to disrupt your entire customer acquisition machine. Once somebody comes and challenges you either with a bigger budget, better creative or whatever else might be. Right. Okay. Very good. How many employees now? So we're up to about 20 at this point. Um, we just nice. celebrated four years. And so, yeah, now we're, we're kind of in growth mode over the next year. So that, that number will be changing, I think, uh, pretty rapidly. And what is your, I know that you're a co-founder, but I noticed there's no title, right? And you haven't mentioned a title for your other co-founder either. Talk to me. That must be something that, that has to do with your culture there or something maybe. Talk to me about it. Yeah, I wish I had a more thoughtful answer for you. It's just we never – we never did. Like we have other people in our company who have titles. Everybody pretty much does uh, for, for myself and my business partner. We just co-founder just kind of did it. Like he and I both have um, our own areas of responsibility that are pretty well divvied up and delegated. Okay. Um, but it's just a conversation we've never had and we've never needed to have. So wow. Wow. No other, no, no other owners, just you two, just us two. Yeah. And you still haven't taken on any cash. No. Well, what's nope. the, what's the plan now? Grow it, grow yeah. it, sell, grow it, sell it, take on cash. What we yeah, take over the world. What, what are you going to do next? <laughs> well, we're having a lot of fun, man. So I think, um, you know, as we, as we grow and develop, we're looking at ways that we can, you know, further solidify like our differentiator in the market, which okay. for, uh, for us, that usually looks like technology that we're building. So we, um, we have invested pretty heavily in kind of building, uh, platforms and things to help with our workflow to make us more efficient. Okay. And whenever one of those really kind of catches fire, um, the plan is to, to potentially take one of those to market. So that's a pretty common path for, for services, businesses that want to get into products. Right. So we have a couple of candidates for that, but we're also really just starting to, to get more and more focus within this area of performance marketing. So that means like, for instance, now 60% of our companies are e-commerce brands, right? So ah. we've done, We've done a lot of um, a lot of work there. We've started to actually invest in some of our clients and become partners with them. Mm. So there's some interesting kind of creative ways that you know we're redefining what that agency client or vendor client relationship looks like. Okay, and I think we're starting to blur those lines and really present ourselves more as a partner who can not only help you grow but also even help you sell your business. Like we're working with an M&A firm. We're working with some other people as partners. And so I think that's the next generation of what we're doing is how can we further integrate what we do as an offering so that's undeniably unique and, you know, 10x what anything else is out there. I love that. I love that. Okay. So if you were giving advice to somebody that, you know, like yourself, worked in an agency, doesn't have to be marketing or advertising, but let's say, you know, they're working for a company like you were, they want to start their own business, they're scared, they're worried, how am I going to pay the bills, my wife doesn't work, we just had a kid, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what would you tell those listeners? Well, I think I would tell them that at some point, there's going to be a leap that you have to take but you can really mitigate a lot of the downside risks like this. There's this old kind of, you know, rugged, risky kind of painted picture of what an entrepreneur has to be. And I think that's kind of a false view of how it has to be. I think, you know, there's a smart way to go about, um, you know, testing out 
whatever your business is like, and will people actually buy it? That isn't your mom or dad or friend or brother, you know, like there's ways for you to validate very quickly. And there's people who've, who've spoken about this way more eloquently than I could ever, uh, you know, lean startup would be a great place to go. But I would just say freelancing is a path to, to validating what you're doing. If you want to build a services business, um, you know, offshoring your developments and, uh, you know, and building tools that, um, that can kind of be a, an early prototype and see if people will buy it. There's ways to kind of dip your toe in the water without quitting everything and hoping for the best. And it's probably the better way to go about it. What would you say to those guys? You know, I remember when I first started RiderFlex and you hear this, you know, from, from some advisors and mentors, you know, they'll say, well, you, you're not all in, you're not all in, you got to be all in, you got to, you, you know, you get that push from some people. So yeah. I hear, I hear you saying, ah, yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. You can, you can keep some revenue coming into your household by doing this, this, this thing over here on the side and, and start your, your business. Well, I think a lot of it hinges on, you know, what you're trying to build. You know, if you're, if you're building something that's going to be heavy on the tech side, there's going to be a huge capital investment. You're going to be raising money and your investors are going to want to see that you're, that you're bought in. You have a responsibility to them to be in there full time, but that's not the only path forward to building a business. And when you're building something that's self-funded and, you know, services business, you know, in our case, you don't have to make that leap all at once and uh, you probably shouldn't, you know, you probably should kind of ease, ease your way in. Cause what I've found is that sure the pressure cooker of taking that leap uh, causes you to really um, have to focus and to work hard. But at the same time, when you're in survival mode, it robs you of a lot of creativity and perspective that you could otherwise have. Mm, great advice. And so mm. there's something to be said about that as well. And I don't want to deny the fact that like there is a point where you need to commit. Um, but it's probably not as early as you think it is, mm-hmm. is, is what my advice would be. That's great stuff, Josh. Really great stuff right there. Okay, very good. On the on the employee side, just real quick, a couple of questions, and primarily because RiderFlex gives a lot of uh hiring and job interview advice on our podcast. So when you are interviewing somebody now uh, for Ember tribe, tell me what are you looking for and, and how are you making the decisions? What, what, what character traits, what kind of personalities are you looking for? Talk to us about it. Yeah. So, um, I don't directly do as much of the hiring anymore, but I, I definitely still contribute to that process. So I'll speak to it from that angle. Uh, but I think for us, it's, you know, because we're a distributed team and that was like a real value that we had in building this company was giving people like our saying has basically been, we want to work remotely so that we're able to hire the best people who do their best work while living their best life. And so for us, that means like we're looking for people who, are curious, like they're just naturally curious people that, you know, they want to seek out answers for themselves and they're self-motivated to do that. So a signpost of that is usually having some diverse set of hobbies or projects or things that are on the back burner. It's usually a good indicator that somebody's curious, they're trying things out, they're testing, testing the waters in different areas of life. Um, okay. Or for us, I think, um, you know, because client management, like people are fickle. Like, so it's sometimes our work is not just like we thought, okay, let me slow down for a second. We thought when we started this business because we're so results focused. Yeah. I know know where you're going. (laughs) It would all, it would just only ever be about the results. And then we realized pretty quickly that that's not the case, that people, people still need to be tended to like relationships need to be nurtured. And so for us, empathy is really huge. Like your ability to understand, especially understand a founder or the founder's team, the pressure that they're in, the other things that they're trying to accomplish besides marketing. Like it requires a great deal of, of empathy to kind of understand that person's point of view. So one thing that we like to ask, uh, you know, in the hiring process is about a difficult, you know, a difficult or challenging you know, um, project that they worked on with that, where something didn't go well. Mm. Like we want to hear about the battle scars and the, like the times where things weren't a home run. And I, we steal this. There's a, there's a friend of mine, uh, Jordan Husney. He's the co-founder of a company called parable. Um, and so I want to give credit where credit's due, but he takes this to another level and actually tries to have that person, uh, so let's say that their difficult time was dealing with a client who wasn't happy with the results. He, he asked that person to basically step into the mind of that person and 
tell what they were thinking at that Ooh. point or what, Ooh, that's what good. drove them to like, to act the way that they were acting, like mm. effectively an exercise in empathy. So yep. we've tried to, to adapt that into our own workflow as well. That's great. You know, you're right. When you're in the service business, it's not just about the result or the work that you're producing. Half, half of it is managing people and personalities and characters and all of that. I mean, my partner, Scott, and I talk about that at RiderFlex all the time. You would think it'd be as easy as a company calls us. They say, find us a VP of sales. We find them a great candidate. They hire them. Boom, we're done. You know, I wish, I wish it went like that every time. But right. you're, yeah, you're, you're dealing with emotions and people and, uh, you know, styles and you name it. Yeah, so you got to right. have you got to have the empathy piece and the people skills, the communication skills. So I'm sure that's critical when you're talking to employees or mm-hmm. interviewing uh, potential candidates for sure. So you've been successful early, Josh. You're still a young man, right? I mean, you're not even thirty. You're not even thirty, are you? I am. I'm. I am in my thirties, uh, thirty-four to be exact. So. Giving that information out. Okay. You know, by the way, congratulations on everything that you've built so far. You know, you had the guts to, you know, like, like you said, I think your, your wife wasn't working. You had a kid. You, you stepped out of a regular paying job to start a business. I mean, that takes guts, my man. So congratulations on, you know, doing that and now building a successful company with, you know, 20 something employees. Um, with that said, when you look back just a few years ago from 34 to, let's call it 21, um, would you, if you could talk to that 21-year-old Josh, what would you tell him right now? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know what? I think I would tell him to, uh, to sell. <laughs> I would tell him to start selling something, anything now. Like, just the ability to go out and get somebody who doesn't care about you or isn't trying to stroke your ego or make you feel good about yourself and confront them with the decision to buy or to not buy. And I just think that's so important to, really to be able to, cause I think at 21, especially um, I, I'm an ideas guy to my core. Like I, I could sit around all day and just get, dopamine hits over and over again about dreaming over the future and thinking about ideas. And I think some of that's a strength. It's really good, but it could be, if you want to actually achieve anything or, or do anything, like you can't stay there. And mm-hmm. so I think the, the antidote that I would have prescribed to my 21 year old self would be, okay, pick one of those and go sell it to somebody and, and collect it. money for it as soon as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And if it's a no, understand why, and then iterate on the next pitch. Like I think that skill set alone is, is just invaluable. Great advice. Great advice. I had somebody tell me once, you know, you might have a business if a complete stranger is paying you cash for something. <laughs> it's the only time it matters, honestly. Yeah. Right. It's so true. Uh, so now, right now in your life, and I think this changes depending on where you're at in life, but what is, Josh's core purpose in life when he wakes up every day, if he had to put it in a sentence, and I want to challenge you just a little bit to say, you can't use the son and the daughter and the wife as your core purpose. Cause I already know that that is the core purpose. <laughs> yeah. So if I pushed you away and said, you can't use that as your answer, what hmm. would Josh's core purpose be? That's good. So I think for me at this stage in the company, Functionally, it's to scale, right? We're trying to, we're in scale mode. So figuring out how to do what we're doing now at a level that's 10 times higher than it is. But if I had to choose one sentence, I'd say my core purpose in waking up work-wise is to make sure that I am as uh, efficiently allocated as possible to my sweet spots. Mm, And so I want to make sure that, because in the two are linked, right? In order for this thing to scale, myself and my partner both need to be operating like a hundred percent in our strengths in our sweet spot and everything else needs to be replicated and like redundant. So if I'm not able to operate in that way, it means that there's a gap in kind of our delivery or our process or our system that needs to be tended to. And it's a signpost that we're not there yet. So like, I think that's, that's what I would answer you right now. You know, purpose isn't a value necessarily, but that's, that'd be my marching orders for myself. (laughs) I think think that's a great answer. I really do. Yep. Beautiful. 
Josh, congratulations on everything you guys have done so far. Um, you know, your energy, by the way, is contagious, contagious, right? I, I, <laughs> Thanks, I, I'm, man. Sure, I'm sure when your employees are around you, they're just, they're just revved up. Now, how many people work remote versus coming to an office? Just real quick. Yeah, so our whole team is remote. Um, I have a space here where uh, there's one other team member, um, and we have an intern as well right now. But that's mainly just out of okay. happenstance. Uh, everybody else is spread out across nine different states in three different countries. So, so Riderflex is the same. Just so you know, yeah, we do not have cool. an we do not have an office. You know, everybody that's involved, the 12 people currently involved, yeah, they all live in different states. I believe the same thing. In fact, I I personally believe. Josh, at some point, we're going to look back on society and go, why were we making people drive an hour in a car to a building to open a laptop in a cubicle? Like, why were we doing that? (laughs) You know, it's so funny, man, because I've worked, you know, in an office for the better part of my career still. And it's like there's day after day where you'd walk in and everybody's headphones were on. They'd be slacking each other. It's like, why are we all here? I don't know. Each other and not talking to each other. It just doesn't make any sense. So yeah, it's, it's funny. We will look back at this as like a relic, you know, I, I totally agree. We run our business the same. So I love it. Josh, thank you so much, sir. Great advice. Really good stuff. Inspirational stuff for the listeners. Congratulations on everything you guys are doing. Um, I wish you the best of luck as things move along. Okay. Now, for, for the listeners, real quick, um, you know, embertribe.com, right? Embertribe.com. If you uh, are looking for help, you know, and you want to get some uh, paid, paid marketing going on, right? Like, you know, and you don't know what you're doing. You need to be, you want some advice on a LinkedIn campaign, Facebook ads, all that stuff. Embertribe can help you. That's, That's it. it. That's it, right? All right. Yeah, sorry. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Josh. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit RiderFlex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.